Shalaya Harapan Show. BitMEX, the OG crypto derivatives platform and the best place to buy your Bitcoin. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Leia Heilpern Show. So today we have a brilliant guest, but before we bring her on, I do want to say a massive thank you to my sponsors, BitMEX, because without them, we wouldn't be able to bring you such crucial conversations. So um, a little bit of background on them before we jump in. So BitMEX is the OG crypto derivatives exchange and now has a spot exchange for you to buy and sell your crypto. Especially right now in a bear market, you need a name that you can rely on. BitMEX sets the standard for reliability ability, performance, and transparency. And it's proven itself through the test of time. So it's really important to pick somewhere that you can, of course, rely on. Right now, BitMEX is actually celebrating the start of BitMEX Spot with $1 million in prizes, which is pretty interesting. So to enter, users need to trade um, the equivalent of 250 US dollars. Users can enter up to 25 times to win a share of the really exciting sweepstakes. And one lucky winner could even win up to 500 thousand usd in bitcoin so i'm actually going to leave um the links and all of that for you in the description below now before i bring on my guest i want to let you all know that it's important to hit the subscribe button and hit the like button so you never miss an amazing conversation so joining me today on the show we have the ceo of chief the CEO and chief strategist of Quill Intelligence. She's the author of Fed Up and spent nine years at the Federal Reserve Banks of Dallas. It is Danielle DiMartino Booth. Let's bring Danielle on. Hi, welcome to the show. Great to be here today. Yeah, really excited to chat to you. Um, I feel like the time is very um, prevalent given everything that's going on um, globally right now and in the market. So before we jump into this, can you give us a quick background on who you are for those that don't know. So um, I, I think most people know me because I was an advisor at the Federal Reserve to Richard Fisher in Dallas for the better part of a decade as the financial crisis was breaking. And before that, I had I had predicted the housing crisis. You know, I, I also came off Wall Street. That's where I started my career at a firm that's no longer with us called Donaldson, Lufkin and Jenrette. Their Credit Suisse, I think, is finally written off all the losses. They bought it at the, at the peak of the dot-com bubble, which I find many parallels between today and where we were back then. Uh, and more importantly, I always like to point out to people that private equity, you know, the people we think of as the gods of private equity, they were wandering the halls of DLJ when I was there before private equity was a thing. And I think that that is going to be one of the catalysts in the current cycle because the shadow banking systems become so big in terms of where systemic risk might lie. So I want to understand what is going on right now. You know, we've seen um, everything sort of crash. Markets are crashing. Um, inflation is up. So from your perspective, global markets, why is everything down right now? Well, everything's down right now because literally right as we were going live, the Atlanta Fed uh, announced that it's GDP now for the second quarter of, uh, of, of this year ending today turned negative 1.0%. So the U.S. economy is officially in recession and we're going to, you know, everybody's going to deny, deny, deny. But this is a Fed driven model. S&P Global came out earlier today. Their Q2 GDP model now calls for negative 0.7 percent. So we look like we're going to have the first quarter and the second quarter consecutive negative prints. That is technically a recession. And I think that that is why markets are in such a state of upheaval right now. China, which 
clearly controls the narrative. They seem to be coming out of their period of lockdown weakness. But from what we're seeing, we know that the UK is going to lead. It will be followed by Europe and the United States is going into recession as well. And we're seeing signs out of South Korea, other parts of Asia that they're also weakening. So this is a global recession and that's why markets are freaking out and rightly so. How long is this going to last? It's a really good question. Uh, look, the consumer cycle in the United States is just beginning because consumers carried themselves. They got they got used to the simious lifestyle here. They got used to the government handing them money. So when that stopped, when that gravy train pulled out of the station, they started picking up their, their usage of their credit cards and then they whittled down their savings. So unlike some recessions where consumption might have declined sooner, we're just now getting into that stage and we're already two quarters in. So I think it's going to be longer, more protracted and deeper than what anybody right now is incorporating into their forecasts. So you, you mentioned the stimulus checks, but with 40 year high um, levels of inflation, what do you think has essentially just caused everything that's going on right now? So if you look at the OECD and their inflation levels, which are very high and you compare them to the United States, the United States is appreciably higher. It is because of the stimulus checks. That is what gave people license to spend much more than what they had. They drove up the prices of scarce goods during a pandemic. And that is why the United States inflation rate is so much higher than the rest of the world. Any politician, Janet Yellen, Joe Biden, Jerome Powell, they will all deny, deny, deny. But the reason that we have runaway inflation and you see it vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the world being appreciably higher is because of that stimulus spending. What confuses me is this is just such an obvious thing, right? Like supply and demand, quantitative easing, just printing money out of thin air. Um, and like you said, Janet Yellen um, and, and all of those sorts of, sorts of individuals are going to deny this. But why? why? Why those in charge happen to be so, is it incompetent? What is it? Well, there's, I mean, I don't think anybody could argue that there's a certain degree of incompetence uh, about. Uh, in addition to that, though, I think that, that they have to, especially those who are politically driven, they feel like they have to leave the groundwork for future stimulus measures. So if you blame the stimulus now, that means that going forward, you're not going to be able to use that same type of stimulus when the economy slows, because it's going to have been identified as the bad guy, the boogeyman. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's why they're in this massive state of denial, but it's becoming increasingly difficult to maintain this narrative because we're seeing here in the United States, the largest input to the consumer price index is housing. And we're seeing home price appreciation stay stubbornly high, and that's going to continue to filter into the CPI, even as we're seeing food prices start to come down and the prices for discretionary goods as well begin to tick down. People often say that it's destruction by design. Um, I'd like your take on that. Oh, gosh, the whole conspiracy, the great reset, blah, 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 blah. This is my stock answer for those who wear, who wear tinfoil hats on my Twitter feed at approximately 2 a.m. Eastern Standard. <laughs> We're dealing with really boring bureaucrats with too much power mm -hmm. and they're model driven. So any notion that this is orchestrated gives them, in my view, way too much credit. These are PhDs in economics. They wear these sweaters with leather patches on the elbows. They're really boring people, but they have a lot of, they wield a lot of power and they, they make policy using 
models that have zip to do with the real world that we're living in. And because of that, because they're driven by incorrect measures, they make a lot of mistakes. And we're paying the price for those mistakes right now. So what would you say some of the biggest problems are with the current financial system that we have today? I think opacity. I brought up the whole idea of, of private equity. You've got firms that are basically trading firms with each other at higher mm. levels. We don't know still all these years later, the construct of the derivatives market. We just know it's gigantic and the high yield markets, all of these debt markets, gosh, high yield in Europe has gone bananas this last cycle, unlike prior cycles, specifically because banks are not lending like they used to. And that's what we're used to in the UK and in Europe. But now we've had to instead fall back on the capital markets. But these markets are by definition, not as liquid and transparent as we need for them to be. We know that there have been massive withdrawals from some of the largest corporate uh, exchange traded funds, but we don't know what they own anymore inside of them and or whether or not we might see one break. And that's a real possibility. I'm, now, now I sound like I've got a tinfoil hat on. I, I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, but we could really see some trouble because the underlying collateral from what investors think is an instantaneously trade, tradable vehicle ETF, if the underlying collateral is trading by appointment only, you're calling that liquidity into question. How do people protect themselves? That's a damn good answer because it ain't Bitcoin. Sorry. Um, you don't think it's Bitcoin? Okay. God, no, no, no. At, the, the, at this point, at this point, Bitcoin has to bring itself back in order to prove where it should be in investors' portfolios. When I speak to some of the smartest people in the room, they're very quietly in massive amounts of cash. Municipal bonds look great. Gold's going to come with all the disruption that's coming. You look at any financial crisis in history and gold is your friend. And that is going to be the case. You're not seeing the strength that you would otherwise see because there's this little thing called margin calls going on. And when you get a margin call, you sell what you can. So gold is basically where people should be putting their money. That's the ultimate hedge against inflation. It is right now. That's for sure. I would say farmland as well, but we've seen prices there run up at such a massive pace that you're, it, it's your, it's your Warren Buffett, you know, just because it's a good company doesn't mean it's a good stock. So sometimes, sometimes things that will act as true inflation hedges, which farmland will, if you buy in at, at a price that's too high, it's not going to protect you. You said Bitcoin needs to bring itself back in order to be considered, uh, you know, reliable or a hedge against inflation, um, but stable, right, of course. But do you not think just from a macro perspective that it could long term be a hedge, just given the technology, the limited supply, its decentralization? I mean, it all sounds good. And I, and God knows I've been educated six ways to Sunday on my Twitter feed, whether I want it to be or not. Um, but again, I, I don't, I don't question the technology. Who would, who could, I mean, would you have questioned the World Wide web when it was first created? A lot of people did. So I don't question the technology behind Bitcoin. I question the fact that it is something that is, and this is going to sound like a fiat currency, faith-based. And it really is. When you see behind Bitcoin, some of the larger institutions bailing and kind of leaving the little guy holding the bag, that's not a good sign. And we know from everything that I've heard from people I know in your world that this coming long weekend, 
through July 5th is going to be a critical time for Bitcoin. I will be celebrating the 4th of July here in the United States when with one eye, the other eye, I'm going to be watching Bitcoin all weekend long. You don't think that's just a sign of an immature market and eventually, you know, when more smart money or whatever comes in and the asset is able to, you know, mature? I think that I think that a lot of boards of directors have whispered into the ears of some smart money and said, you better quietly get your ass out of Bitcoin. So the institutional buy-in is to me why I'm saying Bitcoin has to prove itself. It has to reprove mm -hmm. itself because institutions that bought in have been burned to the to the core. You've gone from you've gone from a three trillion dollar universe to a one trillion dollar universe. You're down seventy percent. So those institutions have been told you're not allowed to be in this. But if it reproves itself, I think then you could have institutions start to come back to it. But right now we're not at that stage. Not with, I think we're south of 20 again. We were, we yeah. were 18.5 earlier. Yeah. Yeah, 18.5. That's right. Yeah, I think about 19 right now. Um, so if Bitcoin isn't this alternative system yet for you, you know, it has to prove itself. Um, how do you, how do you see a better monetary system? Like what, what? would be a better alternative for you? I didn't say that. <laughs> don't put words in my mouth. I don't think, I, I think a better monetary system would be for central banks to not be as intrusive as they are to, mm. to drink some humble punch to say, you know what, all of this quantitative easing, all this money printing, it's done a whole lot of nothing for the real economy. And that is their mandate. Their mandate is to safeguard the real economy. Their mandate is to safeguard the buying power of the dollar or whatever their currency might be, the euro, the yen. That's not working. So I think that what we need is a great reset in <laughs> central banking. And we need for monetary policymakers to back off and allow markets to do their job of price discovery. That's what I think needs to happen. So a new monetary system, not so much more humble monetary policymakers all day and on Sundays. Yes. I'd like to get your take um, on a spot Bitcoin um, ETF. Um, the SEC rejected Grayscale again. Um, I see there, there are similar kind of financial in instruments which are being approved, whether it's with JP Morgan or whatever it is. Do you, th why do you think they're rejecting this, the spot ETF? You know what, I, I, I'm not the right person to comment on that. I'm sorry. No, that's absolutely fine. It's just it, it came out today, so so I'm interested. No, no, to know. I, I I saw the grayscale headlines, and I, I've yeah. seen the, the I mean, I there, there's a great chart out in the Daily Shot today that shows you've gone from premium to I, I, I get that, but uh, but this is not my purview. I will say, however, that on a broader level, the SEC needs some more people, and there are some major positions in these regulatory bodies that remain unfilled this far into this administration. That's frightening. And you spent, like you mentioned, it was around, was it nine years at, at the Fed? Is that right? Mm -hmm. So you obviously have a very unique perspective on the situation and, you know, the way things are run. So what would you say the most um, interesting thing is that you, that you took away from your time there? Well, what I took away from my time there was what I wrote the book Fed Up about. And that was, again, that... When I entered the Fed, I was kind of full of, wow, the mystique and these people are, they're amazing, they're the gods. And they're, and I walked out thinking to myself, God help us if they're the ones running the world. Uh, because in so many instances, whether it was the flash crash, uh, whether it was the, the Euro crisis, whether it was quantitative easing itself, when, when all of the research that I was doing 
that was being filtered back up to the board was being roundly rejected. I'm like, you're not doing anything for financial markets. In fact, you're going to create zombie companies. Anything rational was dismissed and disregarded mm -hmm. in favor of, again, research that was undertaken by PhDs in economics who, you know, they, if you don't have to worry about your own portfolio because you're going to get a pension for life, you shouldn't be in charge of making monetary policy that affects people's portfolios who are not going to have a pension for life, as is the case with every member of the Federal Reserve. It's a very interesting point. I often say the same about career politicians. Um, the same, same exact thing. Yeah, never done a day's work in your life. How are you? How are you able to relate to the the average person? Mm -hmm. um, okay, so you you said the recession is here. Um, so just finally, for those that are just tuning in now, um, how long is this recession going to last? What can we expect yeah. from the next twelve months? So the big headline today is that the Atlanta Fed GDP now printed negative one percent after they incorporated in April and May personal consumption expenditures (PCE). The U.S. economy is 70% consumption, people. Those numbers came down dramatically in April and May, causing this re revision to negative. So we've got negative 1.6% in the first quarter. Now we're at negative 1% for the second quarter, which ends today. And consumers really haven't even begun to pull back uh, in terms of their spending patterns in a meaningful way. That means to me that we're going to go further out and probably into 2023 and still be in recession. So very tough times ahead, basically. You know, uh, we were going into recession at the end of 2019. Global trade had contracted on a full year basis. You go back to 1980 and the double dip. Anytime global trade contracts on a full year basis, uh, the U.S. economy does go into recession. That was prevented by all of the stimulus measures that were pulled out right after the pandemic hit. People don't appreciate that we were going into recession and all the stimulus spending did was postpone delay. Mm -hmm. So now we've got to pay make worse and make and make worse because now corporate America, just to take but one example, they came in with $10 trillion. They went out with 12 plus trillion. So now you've just got even more leverage in the system to be worked off during a real recession. And the biggest game changer that I think so many, especially younger investors don't pay attention to is the political cycle. It's a mid recession year, people. There's not a stimulus check coming just because we go into recession. The earliest we can hope for anything is after the new Congress is sworn in, in the first quarter of next year, best case scenario. And that's what people don't understand. It's that the stimulus measures, everybody but the politicians, deny that the stimulus caused the inflation that is puts us in stagflation today. But we're not getting more stimulus before the first quarter of 2023. That's, going, that's why I think this recession is going to be deeper. Mm. Danielle, thank you so much for coming on. Um, where can people follow you? Um, you've got your book, Fed Up. H how can people you know, keep up to date with um, all your information? Of course. So come to quillintelligence.com. And I'm sure many of you follow me on Twitter at Demartino Booth. Uh, but we, we'd love to have you. Uh, everything that we write about macroeconomically, uh, we publish eight times a week. Perfect. Danielle Booth, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure having you on, um, especially right now. Um, guys, she's actually about to go on CNBC. So make sure to tune in. Um, and I want to thank you all so much for uh, tuning in. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button. I will see you all next week. Thanks, Danielle. Thank you. The Leia Heilpan Show.